Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow, and this is the Goop Podcast, where we bring together visionaries, scientists, healers, artists, and seekers. I'm so grateful that I get to interview these extraordinary thought leaders and share their wisdom with you. And I love listening to the conversations that are led by my co-host and dear friend, Cleo Wade. Cleo is a beautiful poet and author. I deeply admire her and the way she keeps her heart open to the world. Together, we believe that engaging in open-minded, honest, and sometimes difficult conversations has the power to change our lives. All right, over to Cleo. Hi, it's Kiki Korshatz, VP of Content at Goop. I'm excited to introduce today's conversation between our co-hosts Cleo Wade and Nina Westbrook. Nina is a licensed marriage and family therapist, the founder of the digital wellness community, Benet by Nina, and the wife to MBA all-star Russell Westbrook. She also hosts a podcast called The Relationship Chronicles, which explores the ins and outs of human connection, love, friendship, work, and more. Her first guest was Kevin Hart, and we can't wait to tune into the rest of the season. Nina and Cleo sat down and talked about Nina's journey toward mental health and wellness, the difference between them, and how she finds harmony between the two in her own life. They talk about the importance of community for our well-being, parenting, having value-centered friendships, and what it means to be able to see parts of ourselves in other people's stories. Okay, let's get to Cleo and Nina Westbrook. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for making the time. As I joked when we were offline that I feel that you were out here truly doing the Lord's work, and (laughs) I'm so excited about your podcast. Thank you. There's so many things I kind of want to start with, but I guess first I want to talk about your journey towards mental health and wellness and a little bit about your background for someone who might not know you, but would definitely kind of, I think, benefit not only from the work you're doing, but the gospel you're spreading from the work you're doing, which is what I am so in love with. But I think a lot of the times the wellness space doesn't have people and in and, and the therapy space is just now having 
black and brown voices really speaking to our communities to say, we do this, this, these tools are here, they're available to you. There doesn't need to be a stigma around them. And I really feel that you're, you know, really role modeling that in an incredible way. So I'd love to talk about where the seed for this come from for you. Did you grow up with this type of energy or? I grew up in Southern California. I had an amazing mom, an amazing dad who always expressed and emphasized individuality, love. They always instilled in me every ounce of confidence that I could possibly stand. And we were always encouraged to speak up and share, whether it's our thoughts, our feelings, ideas. It was a a large part of my daily life as for as long as I can remember. So naturally, I became quite good at negotiating and having, I think I like to call them spirited debates with my brothers. I grew up in a large family, had three brothers, and I was the only girl. So that is another huge dynamic in my family that really caused me to be more of the nurturing, caretaking, responsible sister. Yeah. And that just carried on until fast forward college. I was playing collegiate one sports, which I now know is very stressful. There are a lot of challenges that come along with that, both socially and emotionally. And I had to kind of figure out how to navigate through that. While I was at UCLA, I decided I wanted to study psychology. I met my husband at UCLA. My Before I even entered the campus, I had met him on a visit. And so I was navigating school, life, being away from home, relationship, trying to be an amazing athlete, just a good friend, good daughter, whatever the case may be. It was a huge learning curve for me. I also realized I had a lot of the skills and tools that I needed in order to navigate that as successfully as I did whereas a lot of my counterparts did not. I felt like I've always been like a source of information and just understanding for so many people. So that naturally I gravitated into psychology. I went on to get my master's in clinical psychology and specializing in marriage and family therapy. I'm now a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I've been a little bit of everywhere. I've worked in all sorts of communities. I've worked inpatient with clients. I've worked in geriatric units. I've worked in, you name it, I've done it. I like to learn and have experiences. So it was really important to me when I was practicing and, you know, just trying to understand people and connect with people to get a wide array of experiences. So that's what I did for several years. And now I'm in a space where I have lived in so many different states. I've done so many different things. I've started different businesses. I I wanted to figure out a way to kind of share information and share knowledge. And I've been able to do that through my digital wellness community, B'nai by Nina, through my my husband and I's foundation. It's called the Why Not Foundation. And in many different ways, and now my new podcast. So it's kind of been 
a whirlwind. Yes. But that was a very short version of where, how I kind of came to be in this position. Could you speak to what is your kind of distinction between mental health and wellness and how they are the same, how they're different? I would feel, imagine the need for them to be like braided into our existence. I think that mental health refers to both our psychological health as well as our social and emotional health. And the difference is that we're typically tending to our psychological health when we're working with a mental health practitioner. That could be through diagnosing whether it's OCD or some type of phobia, which is like an anxiety disorder, or it could be through narcissistic personality disorder or avoidant personality disorder, which are personality disorders. And But those are the things that we don't, that most people are not well-versed on. And those are the things that we don't really talk about daily. And then we have our social and emotional wellness or, or health, which relates to our intrapersonal relationships, how we are feeling emotionally and the things that we're going through and how we're coping with them, how we're thinking them through and what our state of mind is. And then our social emotional health, which relates to our relationships and the way that we're connecting to the world around us. Are they healthy? Are we happy? Are they serving us well, our relationships? Or could they be causing tension, toxic, or whatever the case may be? So they're they're pretty different. I think on a daily basis, we more so experience our social and emotional wellness and we, we don't typically touch or tap into our psychological wellness unless we are working with professionals. And then wellness is, is an action word to me. Our wellness is everything that we do. It's a compilation of all the things we do to take care of our mental and emotional and social health. That could be as much as a coffee break every week with a friend where you get to just unwind and catch up and have that positive human interaction. Or it could be like any kind of physical activity or routine like yoga and exercise. And it could even be a five to six minute, five to 10 minute meditation that you choose to do every morning. So our wellness is is more of an action and the things that we do to take care and cultivate our mental health and wellness. I feel like a conversation my friends and I are having so often is like, where do mental health and wellness come into the digital space as someone who has created this really beautiful space to share community tools and mental health tools and wellness experiences and ideas, you know, while also like we have this kind of doom scroll that we live in be, you know, outside of spaces, like, you know, I feel always feel grateful for spaces like your site, Bene Benina and, and, and Goop, because I feel that when I need to intentionalize how I'm online, Mm -hmm. I can do it by searching for things I'm interested in things I, you know, feel would help me, but those spaces aren't necessarily made to be as addictive as, you know, your Twitter scroll or your Instagram scroll. And, and, you know, I guess I'm wondering where should the boundaries come in there, especially even with families, right? When are you thinking about the kids having a phone or if there should be online or what they should see or shouldn't? I'd love your perspective on that as a family therapist and a mom. 
as a therapist, I think that mental health in the digital space is not sexy. You know, we're <laughs> not drawn. Everyone's not like, ooh, let's go see what mental health messaging we can see today. I think that, like you said, you have to be a little bit more intentional about it. But as far as social media and all of the information that we're constantly getting, I think that there's a way to curate your social media experience by following accounts that make you feel good, unfollowing accounts that don't make you feel good, and sharing what you do find on social media and what you do see on social media that that gives you an additional boost of energy or uplifts you in any way or motivates you in a positive way, sharing that so that other people can then potentially have that same experience. It's that spreading the gospel thing, like you Mm -hmm. said earlier, right? There are always going to be things drawing and pulling us in that are not so good for us. But I think maturity comes into play. Education comes into play a lot. And so if I'm putting my mommy cap on and I'm talking about maturity and social media and digital wellness, when it comes or as it relates to kids, I think each kid is different. Each family is different. The rules are going to be different. But um, as far as what we do know about social media and the impact that it has on us, as I would like to think that I'm like a stable, healthy, like minded adult, and I can still be impacted by the things that are said and done on social media. Yeah. So even having all the tools in the world in my little toolbox to cope and manage the stress or whatever it is that comes from social media or or that or outside world, it's kind of impossible to expect a child or someone of young age that lacks the emotional maturity or maturity in general overall to navigate successfully the world of social media. So it kind of just depends. Again, depending on the age, everything is good in moderation or can be okay in moderation as long as there are guidelines and stipulations in place that will help to create a safer environment, a safer space. Personally speaking, I would love to keep my kids off of social media as long as possible. Yeah. The cell phone thing, like I, I don't, I don't look forward to the time where I have to figure <laughs> out what is going on. Yeah. And I'm like, I can already tell how different my kids are. So one might be okay on social media and not be as negatively impacted by everything that comes along with it. And then I have another one that might fall into yeah. some of those social media traps. So it'll definitely be something that another experience and transition when it's time. Luckily my kids are four and six. So yeah. I have a bit of time. I think it's also interesting because what we do know for sure is that social media is addictive. And historically in our cultures, we protect children from addictive things. It's just that usually they were addictive substances. So, you know, we would want to protect them from addiction, from things that like until they have the maturity to have some type of moderation with the substance or obligations outside of the substance where, you know, you might be like, I've got to go to this class in the morning, I've got to go to work or I've got to go to whatever. So maybe I can't, you know, drink tequila all day and not really understand what that does to my brain and body. I think what we don't have enough is like the addiction conversation. I wonder Mm -hmm. around protecting kids from it as almost an addictive 
you know, mental substance in a way. That's a really good way to look at it because we, unless we can physically see something, a lot of times I think our society has a difficult time computing it, even though what we do know is that it is addicting. Everyone is not privy to the information and the side effects and all the things that are happening to these kids from and due to social media. I think it's up to parents and principals and school directors and everyone to kind of band together and figure out what works best and for their particular set of kids and communities of children and and try to carry out the rules and implement things to to protect them rather than it being like a whole federal thing and depending on other people who aren't really within the community or experiencing what we're experiencing to to deal with it because i i feel like unless you can see it and it's in front of you people just aren't paying that much attention last year i had the opportunity to list my montecito guest house on airbnb This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. I had this amazing guy named Casper on the pod last week who has done has these kind of famous papers out of Harvard on the decrease in religion in the United States especially with millennials so we often also forget that in the past like i'd say almost 100 years you kind of had these social institutions and spaces that were you know you know as far as dividing church and state like that now we'd say could be spiritual as in like there's yoga centers or rec centers but there were these community places whether it was a YMCA or whether it was the JCC your Jewish community center or your church where they were places where you know the kids could go in the afternoon and the older folks could go to make sure that they had community as senior citizens and in the this decrease of kind of religious activity and the shutting down of a lot of the institutions that really, I think, benefited society with that. We also find that, you know, that was its own social safety net. We often, I think, think that the only social safety net we are ever going to get is from the government. Yeah. And and, well, you know, the the largest one is as far as a social one, but Mm -hmm. then we have the interpersonal, the community, I'd say social net, safety net, which has to be our families. And the kind of aunties and uncles who aren't related to us, but care for us. And, you know, I remember growing up and being like, if someone couldn't, was like looking for my brother riding his bike as a teen, you know, our neighbor would say like, he went that way. Do you know? And and, and, and we don't live that. We're not quite living in that, with that sense of community. Right. 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 And so I wonder, like, do you think that that's something we should aspire towards is almost to as a way to 
you know, that's like something I think every single person could do to contribute to the mental health of the next generation is this kind of, I don't know, contribution to spaces like that, whether it's with your time or your money or your talents. Yeah. What you're saying is so spot on and, and, you know, COVID didn't help and all of the isolation didn't help and the boost in mental health pathologies and, and, and depression and anxiety and everything that we saw as a result of, of COVID didn't help. And I think that's because when we are at our best, we're, we're operating within a community. Um, there's that old saying, saying it takes a village to raise a kid. For example, I was actually talking to Sophia Rowe, who said that her definition of mental health and wellness is, is community. She said, if you don't have community, then you're sick. It really impacted me because we are social beings. We're humans and we're meant to be in and within communities. We thrive and we do better when we connect with others. And through vulnerability, we're able to do that by asking a friend for support or asking a neighbor, like, where's, have you seen my kid? And we're just like communicating and working together in order to reach a common goal, which is, you know, in a community setting is we're raising kids uh, where we want them to be healthy, happy humans and be successful parts of our community and, and, and be able to give it back to and pay it forward into the community as they get older. And we are lacking that. And I do think that there's a significant shift and change when those community spaces are not available and those resources are lacking. And it's unfortunate, but I feel like people have to really understand and see the value in it and make yeah. the change and make the contributions like you're saying to connect with the people in their communities through. And there, there, there are institutions in place, like you said, that are offering these kinds of spaces for people in their community, but they have to be supported, like you said, whether yeah. that's through physical action or, or financial contributions, but most importantly, the understanding and the education of it all always comes first before there can be like an active change, right? There has to be an awareness, which yeah. is why we want to spread that, that mental health awareness. Even people would be surprised to know all of the things that go on at your local library for your kids, for your community. And what I hope for is that if, you know, COVID kind of really plummeted us into this space of hyper isolation on the heels of a loneliness trend, what I hope are over or how we correct from there is to really double down on these community physical spaces meant to provide for our kids, you know, whether it's different types of free lunch programs, you know, really going to your, you know, school board and and, and, and your local city officials and talking about the need to fund your library and making sure you vote for those bills to keep certain branches open and kind of going by your own community or rec centers in your neighborhood and, and joining them and, and having your kid enroll in the like, the community sports, I think right. is also really of huge value. I mean, in my childhood, I remember seeing my mom feel like she had such a safety net of female friends because my my brother and I played 
sports at the local ballpark. And I don't know that she would have been able to known how to make mom friends if they didn't all have to sit together. Even for me, sports was obviously, it was a huge part of my upbringing. I met all of my closest friends through sports, but not only do you get to build, build and establish relationships within sports at any level, you learn how to work together. The tools and the skills that you learn from being a part of a team sport are life skills. You, you learn how to be a part of a community. You're learning to work together to reach a certain goal. You learn that there are sacrifices. You learn that your neighbor is different than you or your teammate is not the same as you. You get to experience their family and their culture as you spend more time together and recognize the differences that make us all who we are. And that- you learn that you can't do anything by yourself. Right. No, the, the go it alone mentality is truly impossible in team sports. And I think that that creates that value system you're talking about, which is the need for a teammate to win. If that's kind of in your upbringing early on, I think you're so you have such a benefit later in life as far as how you are with your friends, how you are at work, how you are with your colleagues, how you are with your family or your in-laws or everyone like, you know, life skills. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They stick with you forever. And that was one of the things that I have recognized and saw and seen as a pattern A lot of the people that I have played sports with over the years, especially at my time at UCLA, they're doing amazing things and they're not playing sports. You know, it doesn't matter what field you're going into when you develop those types of skill skills and that type of mindset, it doesn't matter what your team looks like, the skill sets there, and you're going to be a valuable member of, of any team that you go with that type of thinking. I think speaking of teams, how has it been for you running so many teams right now? Because you have your pod, I'm very new to podcasting. I am not a potter. I'm a poet, <laughs> but <laughs> I, and I know you're new to podcasting too. I your, your podcast is pretty new. I it, And then you're also running your site and you have a, fa- a family and your foundation. What I guess are some of the tools that you're using to manage these things. And even like, I'd say the mindset at times, I know for me, I have like the mindset of like, the best I could do that day is enough. Like that's my mantra as a mother who has to do so many things to provide for my kids and invest in my, you know, romantic relationship. When I first, you know, had kids, I always felt this like not enoughness because you feel that, you know, they only know how to want and want more from their parents. And for me, the mantra of like, the best I could do today is enough was like, all that gets me through mothering now. And I guess Mm -hmm. I wonder, do you have certain ways that you're either organizing the day or kind of, you know, maybe not, not necessarily maybe finding like balance, but harmony with all that you manage? It's challenging. I don't even know how else to describe it. I, I have all the tools. I know all the things I, I am not someone who is afraid to ask for help or support. I know that in order to be able to do so many different things that I have to delegate, and I have to also have people in place that can help me. I work with a lot of people that are a lot smarter than I am that help me to 
be concise and be more functional and be more precise so that I'm able to spend my time, which is the most important thing to me in the most productive way and where I'm most needed. So I've been really fortunate to come across some uh, really amazing people that help me to facilitate everything that I'm doing so that I can take the time to be a mom and host <laughs> mommy pods or kitty pods yeah. outside while we're doing this podcast. And I just have a huge support and network of people. I have a community and I I had to build that. I mean, over time, I, my family has always been, been a huge support system for me, my husband's family and my husband himself. He's, he's amazing and so hands-on with every single thing that we do. We're a really good team, but I just feel like it might, my, my intuition, just being connected and communicating with at all the parts of my lives and especially with my kids and my husband knowing when one kid or two kids or they all need additional special time with me they might be going through something or experiencing something they definitely tell me we're very open here in my house and if I'm on the phone or doing something and one of my kids is talking to me and they're screaming like you're not looking at me so not only do I have to listen but I have to be in very intentional about being in present and actively listening to my kids. That's what they require from me. And so just, I feel like understanding at what time or point in my life I'm most needed. Most of the time that's with my husband and my kids, which is where I spend, you know, majority of my time. But if I have to take a little bit more time, like when I was launching the podcast and pour into that, then I have a really good partner and my husband who he will then pick up the slack and help me with the kids. I'm so fortunate. I'm able to not feel guilt or feel just that mommy guilt with my kids or not being with them because it's so important for them to have and receive love from more than just me. I want more than just mommy and daddy pouring into my kids. And the more people that can love on my kids and teach them different things that I can't teach them and show them different things that I can't show them, the better. So their grandparents help a lot with the kids. They're, my husband, if as long as they're with someone who loves them to yeah, the bones and they love them, I'm happy. Because they need that. It's so important for them to have those interactions and to build those relationships and have this community and not to only rely on me or their dad for all things. Yeah, I have that kind of rule for myself. But if I'm leaving for more than like a 48 hour period for whether it's for work or whatever. I always say that it's like, yes, I feel so grateful to have babysitters that can help be with my kids, but I have to have someone there who loves them. That isn't. So it's like, whether it's my mom or my brother, or even some of my best girlfriends who are my kids, aunties, because like you, I don't have sisters, like, but I, you know, my rule is that like my kids don't go more than two days or even one day without having the presence of someone who loves them kind of in the home with them. And it helped me to, because I had COVID kids, you know, so it was hard mm-hmm. to like, Same. I was used Same. to see, exactly. You're used to being with them all the time. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when it was time to like, 
go to New York for work or even just spend that time alone with Simon in the post pandemic world of having small kids where you're like, wait, I thought we were always together because we're always with them. And then you realize you're not together because you're, you're not together, just you two. Yeah. And that's also so important. Exactly. Exactly. It's so rewarding to watch my kids with their uncle or with their grandparents. And they like, when they light up and like run and they have their own little things with each grandparent that comes in or their uncles and they have a lot of uncles. <laughs> they do. Um, they get to have a lot of uncles. I have three husband brothers has, and my husband three. has no sisters. Just he has one brother. Wow. It's like so, uncle fest. It's uncle fest here. And my brothers, they love hanging out with my kids for whatever reason. They take them to school in the morning and come spend their birthdays like hanging. <laughs> this is weird. You're like, but great. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> So, so yeah, it's, it's good. They love those relationships. So I, I like that they get to cultivate them. On, on your podcast, the um, relationship chronicles, mm-hmm. what are you noticing as you're, you know, kind of going through these interviews, are there specific things you find that people keep drawing back to, or mm-hmm. are there some themes that you find that even if you're not, weren't trying to create a theme for your season or whatever, you're like, wow, this is coming up with so many people. Yes. Everyone that from that's on my podcast, every single guest has has an incredible story of triumph through so many different circumstances, a lot of overcoming of like mm-hmm. you know, toxic relationships, trauma, past traumas, living with trauma. Like there's so many different people from so many different walks of life and the overarching theme for how they are able to navigate the world that they live in today and how they've been able to get to such a place of peace is their friendships and family. Wow. Yeah. My husband and I as well, we, we have really great friends. We have great family as well. So we're really fortunate in that way, but everyone doesn't come from a space or a place where they have that community built into their family system or their family units. A lot of people could be coming from places where like, there's a lot of past trauma that, that surrounds their family and they never really grew up and felt safe and had that kind of space growing up. So they had to learn through so many ups and downs and challenges or struggles, how to build that, that family unit through their friends and through their community and how that's served them so well and and how those communities have helped them overcome some of the darkest times in their lives. So I feel like that's been an overarching theme. And it's not just, you know, my podcast is about, it's called the Relationship Chronicles, but we're talking about our relationships with our friends. We're talking about our relationships with our children and our parents and and with our families and our relationship with food and our relationship yeah. with money, we're, we're talking about all the real types of relationships that we share in our lives, not just romantic relationships, though we do talk about those too. And, and community family support system, vulnerability and, and being an open and sharing and opening your lives up to the people that love you. That's been a constant theme for everyone so far. I still have a lot of friends who have not gone to therapy before or going for the first time and they're 
40s or late 30s or early 50s. Because sometimes I think we get to this place, and I was joking about this with somebody recently, where I'm like, you can't be with only your close friends for too long because you get spoiled. Like sometimes I'm like, even if I'm with my like life, I still have some of my best friends from sixth grade. And if I'm with them for like a long weekend, I like am annoyed that Simon doesn't understand our secret language or something, you know, like I've gotten too spoiled because even I think a lot of the times for me, at least how you partner is not just based on being completely the same, how you, mm-hmm. the compatibility is actually filling in the gaps where you're different or like where you have aspirations for yourself and they maybe own that really well, or where you're not that confident and they are, and it really mm-hmm. helps you to kind of remain fluid in your kind of spiritual self for mm-hmm. me, at least in romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. Whereas with my friendships, we feel that we're the same okay. a lot of the time. Yes. <laughs> and so then you get like kind of spoiled because if I do a girl's weekend, I'm like, Simon has to watch out for like 24 hours because I'm like, Sam, you, know, you don't understand anything. Yeah. I think that what you're saying is so important, but it's also, it's such a blessing because to have people that you can just be your true unguarded authentic self with that you don't have have to be worried how they're going to perceive you or how they're going to take something. And they know that you're 100% of the time coming from a place of love and peace. So you can call them out on something if you see something happening, Mm -hmm. or you can joke around or be loud and obnoxious and you're just having a good time and laughing having fun and no one takes it personal and it's not a whole thing. And you have to be very careful about who you go on girls trips and trips mm-hmm. but, but, but I, that is, that's how you get spoiled yeah and and, and and so then you start to think everyone's doing a lot of the same things as you so for me you know a lot of me and my close girlfriends we started doing therapy around the same time you know and, and it was a mix of different things like we could afford it you know I always say that you know poetry is my therapy when I couldn't afford therapy and that's why I started writing and that's why the contents that I write are spiritually helpful I guess But, and so some of it is that we could afford it. We saw the value in it, but, you know, we'd also were like, yeah, we should, a lot of us share, have us go to the same therapist Mm -hmm. by happenstance. And then we'd also have, would have gotten into yoga at that same time or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so then you start to think that you're like, oh, everyone's doing it Mm -hmm. at our age or, but, you know, then you like kind of go home for the family reunion and you're like, damn, like I forget that. I, I have a bubble or, an, or, you know, that, and it isn't just the bubble of like the specificities of where you are, maybe so in your socioeconomic space, but your common interest with your friends, you know, if you're still friends for a long time, you're kind of growing together. So your interests kind of stay merged or grow. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder, you know, do you feel that you're seeing, especially in, you know, BIPOC community, do you feel like you're seeing more interest and openness to therapy? Do you feel that it's feeling less like a diagnosis and more of a healing tool or mm-hmm. wellness tool even so that it, it doesn't represent something being wrong with you, but something you want to feel? Yeah. Just, I think that that's a good question. I I mean, there's I think there's a steady line of growth and a steady, a little bit like a chipping away at the stigma of mental health 
meaning you're like crazy and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> communities of color. And I just want everyone to know that she air quoted crazy. I did. Air <laughs> Every, everyone, a lot of people think that if you go to a therapist, it's because you have some type of psychological pathology, whereas therapists can often serve for a lot of people as just a sounding board, an additional person to help support them through whatever journey they're going through. I feel like there still is a big stigma around going to therapy. It's so funny because when I first met my husband, he was not into therapy at all. And it became kind of a conflict of interest for us because I was a therapist therapist, (laughs) and he still was like questioning therapy. And I'm like, I'm going to need you to get on board with that. If you're going to support me in my journey. Now he's the hugest advocate of therapy. He tells everyone, all of his friends to go to therapy. He goes to therapy. He absolutely loves it. I do believe that it's still a stigma. And no, I don't think that everyone goes to therapy. I don't think a lot of people go to therapy. I'm a lot like you. A lot of my friends do go to therapy. Most of the time, people think that there has to be something really wrong going on in order for you to go to therapy, but that's not necessarily always the case. And preventative work and just learning and trying to understand more about the way you think and the way you process information and where you come from, past traumas and how they impact you today, that relationship dynamics, breaking generational cycles. A lot of that work comes from or begins with the understanding of the generational cycles. We can't change our past and we can't change how we got there, but we can learn and understand our past and how we got here in order to then make the necessary changes to to moving forward in a healthier, happier space. And unfortunately, I think that that's common for a lot of people is that they may be with their friends. You get to pick and choose your friends and guys are on the same, typically like wavelength and kind of like growing through life together. And sometimes, sometimes friendships don't make it because the trajectory is a little off. You might be into this over here and they're into this over here and somehow those things don't align and they don't match or go together well. And so those friendships might trickle off. So it's not to say that our with our friendships, we're always aligned. Sometimes we're aligned in different times of our lives. Sometimes we're closer to some friends because we're going through that with them than we are other friends. You probably have experience with making mom friends, right? Mm-hmm. So. I was the first in, of my friends to have have kids. So I had to make a whole new set of friends. And they're like, wait, who are these people? Yeah. They like love me and support me. And they're like, we know you have to have mom friends. So, you know, <laughs> be free, have mom friends, just make sure you come back. Yeah. And that's kind of how we just, we naturally correlate to people that are going with us along the same journey or similar journeys in our lives. Also, what I find is that you don't have to share the same interests with your friends throughout life at all, but I think you have to share the same values. And I think Mm -hmm. for me, what I've noticed in any, you know, friendship breakups I've had, which I think has become a cultural kind of phenomenon that we're talking about more. When I look at the friendship breakups I've had in the past, you know, whether it's 15 years, I would say 
almost every time it was because of a rupture in values. I think mm-hmm. it'd be like, and the growing apart had to do with not necessarily, you know, cause you don't want to feel judgy, mm-hmm. but you also don't want to be with around energy that is outside of what you're comfortable with, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's such a key and important idea. And to take it even a step further, I was talking to Matt Higgins during one of my podcasts and he was sharing about how he picks business partners or people to go into business with. And he's like, I don't pick people based off of their skill set and how much they know and, you know, what they have done or accomplished in the past. I I pick based off of their relationships and how they relate to others. And you have to connect on the core values and have the same foundational values in order to withstand the challenges and struggles that it come that come with starting a business with a business partner. It's the relationship that's going to get you through all of that. And so you're absolutely right with all of our relationships, there have to be some kind of fundamental connections and including our romantic relationships. Because like you said, we go for someone who we see something in that we really love or someone that we would like to be more like, right? That's normally an initial attraction to a person, but your, your core values have to align for certain, for longevity. But that's why it's like, when you say, listen, you don't have to try to get your partner to be on board with everything you're doing. I've always say that, you know, a marriage is an affirmation of shared values and goals for a family life. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I really recommend that everyone else do so too, because something I really thought about as you were speaking today was, you know, I thought about the me that couldn't afford therapy and I thought about how helpful it would have been for me to have a podcast like the relationship chronicles, because knowing whether it's the terms or seeing the examples or hearing the conversations or the stories around trying to help yourself would have just helped me so much and helped me just get closer and closer to kind of a fundamental okayness Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. therapy did end up providing for me. But in the days I couldn't afford it to know that I could for free click on a podcast and have that is so, I don't know, it just made me kind of emotional and smile. So thank you so much. Of course, I feel that the key for me is to normalize and mental health and to help other people understand how much of our daily lives are intertwined with our mental health and wellness without us even trying. And we're able to do that through sharing stories and of of the things that we're going through and the things that impact us most and how we were able to navigate those different times in our lives. So that's what my goal and hope is for the podcast is for everyone to be able to see little pieces of them and their relationships and, and, and hopefully learn from it and grow from it. Well, I'm so grateful. And I also have to just note that I love your Twitter bio, trying my best to mind my business. And then one more thing I would want to ask is, you know, sometimes I'll have, if, I'm, if Simon's having a hard time, I'll like go talk to him and and I'll get in like advice mode, you know, mm-hmm. and he'll be like, I don't want like heart talk Cleo. And I'm like, gasp, <laughs> like, first of all, don't come for me. <laughs> Second, <laughs> and don't use my book name in vain. But 
Second of all, you're right. Like, you know, no, you can't, every part of listening is, is a Mm non-offering, it's a holding. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, because in every relationship, I always think there is the therapist. Mm -hmm. I mean, in yours, there is the actual therapist, which Mm -hmm. is you, but for Mm -hmm. the rest of us (laughs) with the, who are not licensed therapists, there is just the, the roles we take on is that there's usually one that's more the nurturer counselor holder. And there's one that is more the advice asker or not patient mm-hmm. is like the wrong word, but you know what I mean? That mm-hmm. I just think there mm-hmm. is the, it's a, it's a thing. I I've noticed right. in every relationship, I could tell you, I could go through every single one of my friend's relationships and be like, tell you what, who's the therapist in every single one. Who, which one is which? Yes. Yeah. And so what is your advice for people if they are the kind of like troubleshooter in the relationship or like problem solver or therapist? Mm-hmm. When your friend or your partner comes to you, like, how do you control the impulse and for how long <laughs> until you try to just get all up in there and solve it? Oh my gosh, this is such a magical question <laughs> because it's something I definitely had to learn. I'm a problem solver. And because the, of the way my life is set up, I don't have a lot of time to process. I don't, it doesn't take me a lot of time to process. I live by like, what makes you happy? Mm-hmm. And what are you not willing to do to interfere with that? So mm-hmm. happiness and boundaries. And by living and always putting those two things at the forefront, I can kind of get to the solutions really quickly. Whereas sometimes people don't want solutions. Sometimes I had to learn. My husband's the same way. He's like, I don't really want you to tell me what's happening or what to Mm -hmm. do. I just want you to listen. And what I will tell him is you should have started the conversation with that. You should have told me, I don't want any solutions. I just want you to hear me out. Let me know, communicate. And then I can listen to you. I can actively listen to you. You can share whatever you want to share. Most times people don't need like a a response. It could be anything that someone is going through. If you think about the type of relief that you feel from just being able to share and be vulnerable, how you feel and be comforted in, in a non advice giving way, just like knowing that you feel heard and understood Yeah, makes us feel so much love. And, and a lot of times that's all we need. I think about what I need. And then my other, my second thing I had to figure out was, okay, now consider it's not you at all because mm-hmm. what I've also learned, and I don't know if it's like a, just a hyper masculine energy that is just my very, not me, but there's sometimes like people need to put that pressure on that comes in the venting or the, I say, it's like, I always joke to my friends. I was like, it's catastrophizing to motivate. And mm-hmm. that's my anti. Cause I'd be like in catastrophe, there's chaos and with in, in chaos, there's no clarity. So for me, I need to instantly get to clarity so that we can be decisive and move forward. Mm-hmm. But for people who need to catastrophize, they actually like the motivation is I become this like almost superhero to solve it rather than being like, I'm just deep in my humanity to solve it. And like problems have to get solved every day in life and being very normal is like Mm -hmm. not normal, but you know, human is Mm -hmm. to me how I problem solve. Mm -hmm. And so do some people, do some people find it to be a little pragmatic? Right. Yeah. 
who knows? I mean, I think like there's so much room for misinterpretation and confusion. I want to do what you're doing. Like, Like when I'm hearing something from a friend or someone, I'm like, this is this. Yeah. <laughs> it's twice. You have to choose. It's like you can choose A or you can choose B. It's yeah. simple. But to yeah. people, sometimes they just want to feel. Sometimes yeah. like watching my kid, my kids just, I will watch them throw a whole fit scream in my face on my little foot and like crying. And, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm so sorry that you are so hurt right now. But yeah. like <laughs> nothing that I can do to fix this right now. So if you want me to hold you, then I'll hold you, but you're going to have to kind of work through this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you gotta, it's got, you've got to let it out. You've got to let it out. I want to tell them it's fine. It's okay. It's the same. We don't want to tell the kids everything's fine. It's yeah. okay. Because then they start to like disregard their feelings and emotions, right? There's so many rules. As- or manipulate my freaking three and a half year old the other night, she's crying and Cause she wanted me to like stay in her room like after our like kind of snuggle time before bed. And she's like, I'm crying and the tears won't stop. And I was like, you know, it feels so good to cry sometimes, you know? So you, I think you just got to get all those tears out. And I was like, you know, sometimes we cry because we just need to let go of something in our bodies. And she, and, and she goes, no mommy, I cry because I want something. And literally looked at me like I was a fucking idiot. She was like, what are you talking about? Like she literally like just stared at me and I was like, God, oddly, I feel like an idiot now. <laughs> okay. No, but they're really smart and they know how to, how to get what they, they master want. manipulators. Yeah. And that's another challenge. I'm like trying to figure out like what's real and what's not real oh. at this point. It's a battle for me. Although like, I can't tell if you really need me to like pick you up or if you're just, <laughs> and you have you twins. Know. That's like real psychological warfare. It is. And they're both extremely different. They're, they are obsessed with each other, but com- two very different emotional and social makeups of people. Oh my God. <laughs> so uh. Well, I want to thank you so much. And thank you again for making the time. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. This was really fun. Thanks for tuning into today's conversation with Nina Westbrook. You can hear more from Nina on her podcast, The Relationship Chronicles. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Goop Podcast.